Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the March 1st, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. It's Super Tuesday in America. My next reminder that Anteaters, it's time to register to vote. And if you already are, get your friend to take the simple step. Well, as for today's program, we're not done with people of color themes in entertainment yet, folks. Professor Daphne Lay and student director Desiree Nguyen will discuss the newly founded troupe theater walks. We're going to spell that for you when you introduce them. And the layers of being creative while Asian. They will present a staged play reading of a hilarious play by uh, some some guy, some playwright. We may or may not mention all that later. It's But we will tell you it's at the Gillespie Performance Studios, March 8th. That's next Tuesday night at 8 p.m. So that goes right into your little calendars now before you forget. In the second half, Costa Mesa activist Jay Humphrey has hopes for his Costa Mesa First initiative that would give citizen decision-making authority on land use development with major impact. We'll also have a window on what it means to lose in this 2014 city council race by a mere 47 votes. Be right back after a short station break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. My first guests are Dr. Daphne Lay, UCI professor and head of the doctoral studies department of drama and Desiree Nguyen, student director. Dr. Daphne Lay is known internationally for her scholarly work on Chinese opera, Asian American theater, as well as intercultural and transnational performance. Writing and lecturing both in English and in Chinese, Daphne Lei counts among her scholarly publications, Operatic China, Staging Chinese Identity Across the Pacific, and Alternative Chinese Opera in the Age of Globalization, Performing Zero. She completed her Ph.D. in drama from Tufts University and was Mellon Postdoctoral Fellow in Drama at Stanford University. Her otherworldly dynamism dynamism certainly draws from which she descends a long line of highly prized Confucian scholars, a topic that we seem to keep deferring on, perhaps her next appearance on Ask a Leader, we get to mine that completely. Last week, Daphne Lay was awarded the Tom Angel Fellowship for her outstanding mentorship of graduate students. She's launched Theater Walks, that's spelled W-O-K-S, and it's the first Asian-American performance group in the drama department at UCI. She fosters Asian-American talent and raises awareness of Asian and Asian-American theater on campus. My other guest, Desiree Nguyen, is a third-year drama student. Originally from Garden Grove, California, Desiree has acted, directed, stage-managed, and crewed theater shows in the Orange County area. She also makes puppets. Sometimes I say she pulls strings. So <laughs> her interests include socially conscious theater pieces and diversity in the entertainment field, a persistent theme for good reason. Among her favorite shows to which she's contributed are Antigone, Evita, 
and Rent. She's currently working on an experimental music performance called Heard X Unheard by Michelle Chang and directing a special stage reading of a play at the William Gillespie Performing Studio March 8th. That's next Tuesday night if you're listening live. It's 8 p.m. Welcome back to the program, Daphne Lei, and for you, your first time, Desiree Nguyen. I'm happy to be here. Same. So that's f- that was the professor first, the student second. So if we do our job right, we'll advance the notion of Asian Americans' involvement in creative processes, talent hiding in plain sight. Leading up to the pageant <coughs> on Sunday night that's known as the You Know What Awards has been public discussion about actors and everyone involved in the creative process of entertainment. I shuffled my whole script today when <coughs> Chris Rock provided a whole lot of additional fodder for our discussion today. I'd like to hear from both of you, Daphne Le and Desiree Nguyen, about these problems in the performing arts industry, what your take was when you heard either caricatures or complete omissions, commissions and omissions in that, that pageant of that awards night Sunday. Maybe let's start with Dr. Daphne Lay first. Well, of course, the, the story started long before the uh, ceremony and even long before the domination. We understood that before the ceremony, we knew that, oops, we made a mistake, that we forgot to include any uh, actors of color um, in, in these uh, nominations. Uh, so I feel when I watched the ceremony, it was really a lot of like, okay, let's try to cover up. What else can we do to make it more colorful? Let's add some people of color. Let's add some children of color. Let's add some medium of color, right? So for me, it was, it was shocking, but it was, on the other hand, it was not very surprising because this is something that has been going on for so long. And then it is not just the Academy Award. It is not just the industry. It is not just the screen and um, stage. It is the society. Um, if we want to think about the big problem, it is not just say, let's change the head of Hollywood, if there's that person. Let's change the head of a university. It's not that. It is really the society. We really need to take every step um, to make sure that we are really trying to think about an inclusive society and an inclusive institution for everything. And we are, what we are doing right now, it is really the first step um, of what we are trying to do. Desiree? I didn't watch the Oscars, so I I know. I didn't either. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm taking this from all the distillation afterwards. So. Right. But, but you've heard. I mean, the, the water cooler was emptying around that. Yeah, I'm definitely not surprised that Chris Rock has, you know, created some offense within lots of communities of color. I'm thinking, like, if this is really, you know, the right way to do it. I see that perhaps he was trying to make some political point, but the way that he did it wasn't necessarily effective. You make a very good point, uh, Daphne Mm Lay, about when we see lots of uh, Asian students on campus, we forget that we don't see them on stage or in media at all. So the the representation of our society is quite different from what society really is, something that you would like to remedy. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think when I think about creating this group, I I was ambivalent about doing this because in a sense I feel this is something long overdue. 
because we have so many Asian people on campus doesn't mean we see them on stage or we see them on screen, right? So this is something that is really long overdue. On the other hand, I also feel, well, it is kind of very dated concept. I will explain that later. Uh, and, then, uh, and then also, when the Oscars just happened, I feel, well, this is really timely. So there are like three different concepts about time, uh, you know, about this group. It, it is really long overdue, and then it, it is dated, and then it's timely. It's right there at the time. When I say it's, it's dated, because uh, 1965, that was the first Asian-American theater East-West Players was founded. And Where was that? It was in, right in Los Angeles. Okay. And when you think about Asian-American movement and Asian-American theater movements, they are really kind of tying to uh, the civil rights movement. So you can imagine in the 60s that there are multiple voices coming out. So Asian communities also started doing theaters and kind of like, okay, this is our voice. But when they started in 1965 in East-West Players, it was much more about putting the bodies on stage, right? So we see the Asian bodies on stage. It doesn't matter we are doing Shakespeare or musicals or Tennessee Williams. It doesn't matter. It's the Asian people on stage. But it was like about uh, 70s, people started writing Asian plays. So you get more of the voices. So you have both the body and the voices. And then in the 80s and 90s, we have a lot of anthologies, um, published and then there are uh, Asian American theater, uh, Asian American departments, studies being formed in, in universities. And of course, a lot of Asian groups, Asian American theater groups, uh, performance groups are being formed in 80s and 90s. So so that's a record going on. It's a right, but it's, record, right. But it's not showing. Right. So that's why when I thought of when I, so I, so, and then when you, when you look at our campus, the increased Asian population, and then when you look at over the, the whole country, the Asian American families are, have the highest family income. And, you know, like all these things seems to indicate that we're moving toward a more inclusive, uh, diverse performance culture. And then it seems to be that should be a natural evolution, but it's not happening. Well, and you, this, you know what, you yeah. you make me think of an, uh, a, a sort of a, a point of comparison about how much the the Asian culture is supporting this creative process. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking when I attend a, a Persian cultural uh, performing arts event, mm -hmm. there is a callback response. There is the audience is it's well attended mm -hmm. and the audience is doing is interacting with they recognize what the uh, some uh, well-established poet who's a part of the program mm -hmm. they come back and they just practically sing they mm -hmm. swear there's a sort of real lively interaction mm -hmm. going on yes but i'm just wanting to let's be, i want to really be wide-eyed about this is not it's not just a a, a commercial kind of prerogative mm -hmm. being carried out here but is there from the home front Mm -hmm. From Asian households, a culture that is putting a higher premium on engineering and science careers, other science careers and entrepreneurial mm -hmm. careers, and the creative career is just not getting its due. Well, I think it's much more complicated okay. than that. Uh, because uh, a lot of, if you go to any musical competitions, you see mostly Asians are doing there. The competitions, right? right? But that's not a creative thing in terms of what we're talking about in a general sense. Uh, I, I think I think uh, it is much more complicated. Yes, than, because I think that is one that is also one of the stereotypes. 
when people think about Asians, they are probably not creative enough, and that's why they're not on stage, and because of their parents are more strict. And I think that's one of the stereotypes people often think about Asian actors, Asian performers. They are, but but we are Asian is or, or Asian American. It's a really really very diverse group. We're right. talking about like the fifth generations Chinese. We're talking about first generation Korean, fifth generation Chinese. They're all very very different. Yes. Uh, so when we say okay, they all want to be engineers or they don't want to be doctors, that's just not a fair statement. And I think it's much more than just thinking about within the Asian community. What I'm trying to do here is. When we see some Asian bodies on stage, or when we hear their voices, we are thinking about the whole performance culture, right? We are not just thinking about oh, now we have two people on stage, pe- pe- right, right, right? And I'm talking about creative. I'm talking about the creative editor, the mm-hmm. creative director, like mm-hmm. Desiree here. The, right. That's what I mean about not. I'm not talking about a performance where right. somebody's learned that piece of right. Bach and they're banging it out mm-hmm. on their their violin, but mm-hmm. just all of the pieces, the the emissaries for recordings for mm-hmm. uh, uh, various uh, artists, or, um, every single layer, and mm-hmm. uh, whether those are fostered in at the at home culture. So back to the complications that you're addressing. Right, I, I think I think it is fostered because I think it is it is part of the the culture that we embrace art as well. But there are two things. One is you can foster it, and then you still face the competition in the world. And then if the yes. world does not accept you because of your skin color. Then it might be easier to be an engineer, right? So I think there there are two things we are talking about, and I think a lot of Asian families really care about arts and really foster that creative energy there. So it's yeah. like it's that one. I think it's the refrain everybody's talking about from Chris Rock is so it's Ms. Nguyen, we like you, but you're not a kappa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, getting getting the invitation to to give your pitch to. Mm-hmm. Uh, con- contribute your talent and whatever it is it's just not getting inside yeah the, the gatekeepers aren't see asian they're saying i'm sorry i just i i just don't have time on you know to talk what mm-hmm. what you can offer i just i just mm-hmm. don't see it sort of right. just like blank mm-hmm. desiree what what would you like to add to this because you are in the thick of it now is it third year and did you start out as a a, a drama yes, uh, aspirant here at uci okay mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that when it comes to Asian actors, what we just do is, you know, we try to be the best actors that we can be. You know, you create your own work, you take classes, you research plays, all that stuff. But the one of the big problems, I think, with casting and diversity is, you know, the casting director's mindset in fictional works if the race isn't specified or if it takes place in a setting that's historically inhabited by white people, such as, say, the South, it's easy to assume that the characters are white. When directors and producers cast a show, they usually have a very specific image of what the characters are supposed to like. Right. supposed to look like. Right. For example, if the characters are related or married to each other, the assumption is that they're the same race, so they physically look compatible on stage. And if a person has, say, a British accent, we assume that they're Angli- Anglo-Saxon, when in real life there are, you know, other people of other ethnicities that have these accents. That's right. It's just that we have these images so ingrained into our heads, we might not think of it consciously, you know, and when we do, it's important for the people casting to challenge these assumptions and be open-minded. I think that directors sometimes underestimate their audience members that way. Yes. When we present a show, we've built this world for the audience. They understand that there are rules in this fictional world. Nobody watches a show and expects it to be completely, quote-unquote, 
realistic. It's, say, in a production, oh, if the mother character is white and her daughter's Asian. As an audience member, you have to accept these casts and you understand that these are the rules of the play's world if you want to enjoy it. Well, and maybe yes. it's distracting at first, but the suspension of disbelief quickly settles in when we start to watch these characters' relationships unfold and their personalities, and we start to emotionally connect with them. That's what we're watching the show for. And when the casting seems unconventional, but the play's done well, then whatever the actors look like, it either takes a back seat or it enriches the play. It doesn't detract. And the casting powers that be need to understand that. So maybe we think, oh, these people of different races with these relationships look unrealistic. And the thing is, these types of relationships look uncommon, but they exist and they're getting more common. And yes. it's just a matter of exposure. And I think that actors and casting directors should take the initiative to represent that. Well, if you want to know whose pearls, out of whose mouth those pearls came from, this is my, she's my guest, third-year drama student Desiree Nguyen, and also professor, UCI professor of drama Dr. Daphne Lay here on Ask a Leader Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web and t outside box offices uh, on the web at KUCI.org. We're talking about where uh, you could put an Asian face, voice, creator anywhere in the play. And I must say, I know how Ashland, Oregon's Shakespearean Festival, they've been doing this for years. You've got, you have all kinds of ethnicities in the Merry Wives of Windsor, but comedy, the drama, whatever, Shakespeare. So they've been doing it. They know how to do it. And so it's, it's and I'm sure you've got other examples where it's, it's happening. So I uh, would like to have you talk about Theater Walks, W-O-K-S, and what, uh, well, no, that, let me just back up a little bit, because uh, at Stanford, as mm -hmm. a postdoc, Daphne Lay, you had um, a laboratory, sort of, so to speak. To tell us how that informed you about what you're doing here at UCI. Well, actually, I didn't start that group. I think many listeners know this very famous playwright uh, named Davy Henry Huang, uh, whose M. Butterfly was like the first Asian-American play that made it to uh, Broadway. Uh, David Henry Huang was a Stanford undergraduate. And when he was there, uh, he was a class 79, I think. In 78, he created a group called Asian American Theater Project, AATP. So, and then he did some shows, and then he did some shows in the dorm, and, you know, like here and there. And then he graduated, he went on to his career. And then I think students carry on this, um, this group. But when I got there uh, in 2000 as a postdoc in a drama department, students came to me saying, well, they haven't done that for quite a while. It seems that they lost the energy. So they would like to have a faculty person uh, to get it started again. So I did it. So at that point, there, it was not a very big Asian-American population at Stanford. I, took, uh, I talked uh, Asian-American theater class. I only had four undergrads. Uh, it's a four-student four class. And then so we have um, probably about a dozen students get involved in, in this show called uh, Achievers, uh, which is a, a play, you know, kind of satirized the overachievers <sighs> uh, of Asians. And then it was also the year, I don't know if you remember this, the movie uh, Better Luck Tomorrow came out. No, I missed that, that completely. That, uh, uh -oh. that was the year. That was like the first Asian-American 
movie about all these young people, about you know, high school students, and also about a lot of super achievers and their stories. So I remember when I was there doing the show, the movie came out. People were the the whole community, Asian American community, the, the young people. Like line up going to see the you know like the first show and it was a lot of energy there. So after the show, it was really really well received. And then、uh, students also approached me, <clears throat> saying we should start writing plays. So we started a,、um, a group called a Playwright Circle. So we started writing plays, and then we meet、uh, regularly to discuss our plays. Nothing really came; to, no production really came out of it. But you know, that's something I did when I was there. So in, seeds were planted. Yeah, and I hope they carry on. I just checked their website. I I saw there was still production. Okay. Twenty、uh, fourteen. So I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully they're still doing it. So at UCI.、Uh, As I say, I f- it feels a little dated to do something like this because people were doing that in the eighties and nineties, and this some this thing, of course we have that on campus, right? That's kind of my assumption. But just to my surprise, we just have never ever done、um, a main stage pr-、uh, main stage production of、uh, Asian American plays, and then、um, and then so the question is:、uh, Is it because? We don't do that kind of play, so we don't have Asian actors, or because we don't have Asian actors, we cannot do that kind of plays. And then, as I, as you said, you know, if you walk around campus, you won't believe that we don't do Asian plays on campus, right? You just see so many Asian faces there.、Um, so I thought, okay, remembering my、uh, Stanford experience, maybe it takes a faculty member. To get it started, a rock to star the, family to, member. I'm going to say you are <clears throat>、okay. to have the energy because students, you know, they are taking classes. They have deadlines, and maybe they they feel like,、oh, okay, I don't have money, I don't have time, I don't know how to get a space. So maybe I'll get it started,、uh, and then the energy will come. And then I think so far we we have built the community. We started slow last quarter because I was on with、Sabbath. theater walks. With, okay, with theater here we walks. are. Yeah, W O K S folks. W O K S. Yeah. So、um, out of the frying pan <clears throat> into the walk. Exactly. Right. So, but now because we're we're doing a, we have a project in mind. So I think we we really we feel energized. Students feel energized, and it feels like a community right now. So why theater walks? Um, you know, it's kind of a a joke. It's kind of satire, self satire, and it's also a thing to draw people's attention. Right.、Uh, it helps them buy in. Yeah. Satire is a little gentle way to. Yeah, but but also we own the satire. Yes. Right. Oh yes.、Uh, also, when you think about well, theater works is a very common name that、right. m- many groups call themselves theater works. So this is theater walks. And when you think about walk, you think about the stereotypical Asian dish. But also, I want you to think about. We stir, we fry, we.、Uh, well, we, we are walking the walk.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We yeah, we we stir, we fry, and then we want to wake up your consciousness. Yes, we want to.、Um, we want to break. We want to chop, <laughs> chop down your old conception、nice. of what the performance culture is, and and then as I said, this is you know putting Asians on stage is just a first step. I really want to think about a whole. Um, performance culture to be more inclusive, to really break down the barriers, to really think about, you know, sugar plums. You know, snow cream doesn't have to be white, or you know, you you really Julia doesn't have to look certain way. And so, really, people need to think differently. So this is just my first step. Yeah. So the other side of the equation are patrons. So、mm-hmm. are you keeping track of the audience too, who's coming? 
yeah, I mean, we we hope to to uh, to attract a lot of people. So yeah, I, so I, Asian support of Asian enterprises. Oh, definitely. But again, I want to go beyond that. Right. Right. That's why I talk about the whole performance culture. It's not just Asians watching Asian and give give each other supports. Yeah. So does this choice offer a means of processing and expressing cultural expectations of your immediate community? Do you? I'm asking about uh, what your peers, if, if you, Desiree, do you have uh, some role model, like when I noticed listening to Andrew On, a Korean-American gay playwright or a screenwriter director, he was giving credit to uh, Margaret Cho for being not only gay, Korean-American, also she gave him some place to move out and be his creative self. Is is there any kind of a, an example for you that helps, le- an entree for you to and affirming what you want to do. Margaret Cho is definitely one of my models, too. Okay. She is amazing. After spending so much time in the entertainment industry, conforming to someone else's image of her, she's learned to fearlessly be herself. I mean, there's absolutely no one like her. And yeah. she's just delightful, you know, whether you agree with her comedy or not. She is a character. She is a force to be reckoned with. Um, someone else that's uh, more local is um, An Wynn, the founder of the Chance Theater in Anaheim Hills. He's acted in several films, and he's an amazing director. He struggled getting the black box theater off the ground, and it's grown so much. They recently just moved into a new space. and Where the are they? Do you know where they are? Yes, they are in Anaheim Hill. Right, right. Um, But we'll mm -hmm. have to put that up somewhere on website where that can be found. Yes, I don't have it. But that's that's where his play is. Yes. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. And the shows at the Chance Theater are incredible. They put on very popular shows and less well-known shows. And then they also workshop new plays, which is so important, especially for diversity. And, you know, these shows, they're so socially conscious and thought-provoking and the chance theater they foster local talent and they built this very diverse community that gives back to the city and where's the chance theater the chance theater is in anaheim hills oh oh that's the name of his theater then. Yes, the chance oh okay theater. it's mm-hmm. one and the same on win chance theater mm-hmm. okay very good well uh you'll be desiree you'll be directing a stage a special stage reading at the william gillespie performing arts studio it's a uh, Building 728 on the campus map, folks. And that's March 8th at 8 p.m. This is truly a hilarious play. I mean, sometimes you're not sure how funny it is unless you see it performed, but it, it, it leaps off the page. So tell us, Desiree, what we're in for. How do we all pile into that booth that Tuesday night? Well, it is going to be fun. You are going to see some talented and upcoming actors. We're going to hear some critiques on this romantic image of white men with expensive cars as this unrealistic picture of success. And we're going to grapple with some topics of Asian male insecurity and the idea of Asians as perpetual foreigners, even though, you know, we might lived in this country for our whole life. And racial stereotypes and preferences in dating. You know, how personal and touchy that gets. Um, To get to the performing studio, you cross the bridge to the humanities and the art schools. And then you keep walking down until you get near the bridge that connects the arts campus to the Mesa parking structure. Uh, We will have signs posted up. You will. That's what I was going to ask you. That is true. Okay. So then no one will get lost. Everyone will find their way and enjoy the performance. And it's uh, it's. Staged play readings, uh, there's, it doesn't take anything away from a live performance experience. This, I mean, the lines here are so crisp. They're, it's quick. It's sort of like 
uh, one one punchline after the next. It's really uh, it's just it's a tonic mm-hmm. to uh, and a, a huge pleasure to uh, to this this particular play. And I I would say besides being a good laugh, it's a rare bridge and it's a whole memorable enterprise to to join in on that. I'm uh, looking forward to that. I'm just clearing my calendar for that. I can't wait for to see how that goes. And you have about six or seven members of a cast, isn't that? How many are so, roughly speaking? So it'll be it'll be quite lively. I thank you both for your time and the life changing projects that keep coming from Dr. Lay's tutelage and exploration. So good for you and good luck to you, Desiree, on being at the receiving end. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, that was UCI Department of Drama Professor Daphne Lay and Student Director Desiree Nguyen. We'll be right back after a short station break with Jay Humphrey, and we will talk about his Cosa Mesa initiative that's qualifying and what it's like to be 47 votes short of winning. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. He works all day and night, striving, striving. here with Ask a Leader. Thank you for staying tuned. That was Cambodian artist Bo Chan Hui, Believe. Welcome back. My next guest is Jay Humphrey, Costa Mesa municipal activist and former member of his town's city council to present to us a soon-to-be qualified, if not already, citywide initiative that would mint a new role for its constituents, citizen planners. Jay Humphrey's service includes and slow down everybody follow me right along here developing safe roads to schools city council tenure from 1990 to 1994 and i need a drum roll for this one removing costa mesa from the investment pool saving costa mesa millions i'm not kidding folks millions of dollars and losses from orange county's 1994 bankruptcy also service uh, for the the fairview park preservation alliance El Toro Air Base Reuse Task Force, and his sweat equity in the neighborhood park on West Side Costa Mesa. With his 2014 city council campaign loss by only 47 votes, he is the poster guy for why it's important to vote. He's been busy with getting two initiatives to qualify for the general election ballot this November, as well as signed his papers to run again for the city council. Today, we'll focus on the initiative that would require voter approval of developments of certain size today. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Jay Humphrey. He joins me in studio. Well, thank you very much, Claudia. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us about the Costa Masons first. Uh, what, what, tell us what the Costa Masons will see on their November ballot, the, the genesis of this initiative, and the purpose of Costa Mesa first. Well, the Coast Mesa First got started uh, as a general purpose type committee and has, has moved into a smart growth committee uh, supporting the uh, new ballot uh, measure that will be on the ballot probably. Uh, it hasn't been certified by the city yet, but it has been certified as having enough signatures to qualify for the ballot by the registrar voters for Orange County. So it's a matter of the steps they can take. On the 16th, of uh, March, they will have uh, the the uh, city clerk will uh, 
submit for certification. Final. Okay, I, submit. Okay, yeah, that's submit for, to the city. Okay. And then the city has three options. The first option is either to just enact the ordinance as is, which is probably not going to happen. They will then have the other option of being able to submit the ballot uh, to the ballot, or uh, they can ask for reports from different departments within the city. That's probably what they're going to do, so they have a full understanding of what kind of different things might happen. And the nice thing about that is that it is specifically, um, those are reports that will be public documents, so we will be able to address whatever they happen to say, as opposed to some of the private documents that float around and, in fact, uh, yes. give a lot of misinformation. Are there going to be countermeasures to this initiative? Uh, hard to know. Uh, anybody trying to put one on, the city council would probably be the only capable entity to do something like that because the to gather notice. signatures, yeah. they wouldn't have the time. So it would be a, a city council measure versus the initiative that exactly. you... Exactly, okay. if, if that was going to happen. But At it's not present, likely. I don't hear anything, but uh, anything is possible from all kinds of sources. Because we've had those in Irvine locally. So It I've, does happen. Yeah. It does happen. So tell us what then... Um, why why this initiative what 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 provoked this this effort well the, the initiative was provoked primarily because the citizens of Costa Mesa got tired of not being listened to uh, and through multiple different meetings it was clear that the city council had an agenda that was clearly just simply to build anywhere in Costa Mesa as fast as possible and the citizens of Costa Mesa said that's not reasonable it has negative impacts on our quality of life traffic becomes unbearable. Uh, we're already a built-out city, so the kinds of things they want to do is uh, repurposing other lands and then making it much, much more dense for the community. The most recent general plan uh, update basically says, look, we're going to put 6,000 more housing units within Costa Mesa, which is a 15% increase in what's already there. That's on only 4% of the land. So they're having some tremendous changes to, to generate the kind of projects they would like. Projects that are related to 40 and 50 housing units per acre. What that means is five-story buildings all along Harbor and Newport Boulevard that are surrounding a six-story parking lot. And quite honestly, what's going to happen is the traffic generated from those kind of things, the noise, the uh, change in the dynamics of how the city flows will change. Okay. So whom, let's say there's, there's winners and losers, so whom does this initiative benefit? The people of Costa Mesa, pure and simple. It, it, it allows the people of Costa Mesa to have a say in what goes on with their, their community, uh, specifically in the development area. And uh, as, uh, let's go into some of those uh, misconceptions and myths that are coming, bending about in the, the press locally. Oh, we have some real fun ones. One of them, the most common one we hear, is that it'll, it will require a vote on every development town. Well, the initiative is very straightforward. It says, look, if you change the, the rules about how we develop the city, change the uh, general plan, overlay zone, specific plan, or the zoning code in particular, you're now changing uh, the way we actually develop and what we allow to happen in the city. If you do that, and on top of that, you add trigger uh, levels of either housing or uh, traffic or 
commercial, you wind up by having a vote. But you have to have both of those things happen. And very, very few projects will require both of those to happen. There may be projects that have a general plan change but do not increase the intensity of a use or the traffic it generates. Uh -huh. Therefore, it wouldn't trigger a vote. There may be, and what would be most commonly, is that they'll be rebuilding something on the same land. Right, like an infill. Exactly. In, yes. And so the initiative requires you have to have an increase above what's already built on there as well as the change in, in rules, as it were. Okay. So if you don't have the change in rules, you can have whatever is allowed in the present general plan. The current general plan right now allows for... 25% more traffic generating processes to go on in the city, which is a lot. Uh, yes. You're looking at a right. huge change potential. So there's no reason that development will in fact be stalled or not happen, especially since most of the tasks that are happening are relatively small tasks, five, six, seven uh, units, a couple hundred, a hundred um, uh, traffic changes, traffic trip changes, maybe 5,000 square foot additional to the project that already exists. So they won't require a vote. Well, Jay, tell me about all those new lofts that are being built around Newport Road and between uh, 19th and 16th Street. Are, would those have been, if they, would they have been a, a, a development under consideration with your initiative? As a matter of fact, in 2006, we had uh, a citizens group, uh, business people get together and develop what's called the West Side Plans. And those plans were developed uh, with the idea to try and find a way to interface and, and make those, those areas become more productive and more village-like, if you will. Well, in somebody's infinite wisdom, that was changed so that the live-work area that was considered part of the process, i.e. a multi-use where you put housing above business, right. wasn't done. What was done is the work part has been allowed at 110 square feet. How can you have, that's a small bedroom. You just can't run a business out of something like that. So the purpose was only to increase density of housing, not to actually make Mix a walkable mm -hmm. um bikeable community where you have stores that you can walk to down the, you know, just down the block. Now you have to walk a fair distance. An old established pattern. Uh, Absolutely. Like mix of uses. So uh, then the question that comes to my mind, maybe this is part of the misconceptions and myths and all that, is are the citizens ready to weigh in and vote up or down these developments? Are they savvy? Well, actually they are. And here's the reason why. Normally, what the citizens get is about a three-day notice okay. to react, respond, listen, figure out whatever is going on in a project. What that means is, is that most people don't have the ability to just cut those three days out of their life and just go 100% to that. This initiative requires that the city must provide fully understandable uh, information that they have made the decision on uh, for allowing this project to start to, go, to move forward. Uh, and that fully understandable information ha is in terms that they can understand as right. a general rule. Right. And they have to provide it 30 days prior oh. to. So when it comes time for the people to vote, they have ample time to look at it, ample time to read it in terms that they can understand, not in the wonkish 
uh, language that we all know uh, as being very difficult to keep no, up with. It's just bureaucratic. It's not even wonky. Exactly. So it's, which That's is the, the, worse. It's drier. Exactly. <laughs> Wonks are a little more exciting. Yeah. Well, for those of you who just joined us, my guest is Jay Humphrey, Costa Mesa, civil activist, former city council member, recently filed candidate for Costa Mesa City Council on Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming on the web around the world at KUCI.org. Jay Humphrey is involved with a petition soon to qualify on the Costa Mesa general election ballot that would require voter approval on certain development projects. Well, I'd like to give you a chance to let us be the the fly on the front door, not the wall. You probably were always outside. When you were collecting signatures for this petition, you must have some anecdotes to share with oh. us about what you were doing a teach-in for uh, land use practices, and you were getting stories back from people who had very distinct opinions about what the look of and the feel of Costa Mesa is. So have, give us a few anecdotes, well, please. Well, I'll tell you. It was, it was actually a wonderful experience because literally— 85 to 90 percent of the doors that opened signed the petition. Wow. We had no They were waiting for you. They, uh, I had people literally that what you said is exactly right. Oh, wow. They see me walking up to the front door and they would come to the door already ready to sign the petition. That is about the most idyllic kind of ca- canvassing I've ever heard of in it, my many years of door to dooring. It was great. It was it was a very uh, satisfying, supporting position. Um People would ask questions about, well, does it do this, does it do that, because they wanted to know. And as long as they got the answer that was correct, they were fine. We always had a petition with us so that obviously they could sign it, but also they could read the things they needed to read to verify that what was in the petition was what the questions were asked. Okay. So it was very clear. Um, we had a lot of people that made numerous comments about a myriad of types of development throughout the city. And one of the things they asked a lot about was, well, will this hurt us being able to take care of those pesky, bad motels in town that we keep getting told by the council? Well, it turns out that while some of those would would require a vote because of the change in densities, the change in uh, allowances and what have you, the most notable one, Coast yes. Mesa Motor Inn, yes. is already under two suits. One yes. of the suits is because the city went ahead and gave a huge density bonus, about a 50% density bonus. Without a set-aside for affordable units. Exactly. Yeah. And then the second, well, they have a set-aside, but it's a small set-aside compared to what it was supposed to be and not the right, not the right group. Because of this whole displacement, it doesn't but address, yes. They're the big ones talking about violating property rights and what they actually have a suit against them because they violated the property rights of their next-door neighbor. So that project is now on hold because it's got two suits against it because the city council didn't do their homework, didn't think about what should be done, and just moved it forward just quickly. And I'm hoping Kathy Esfahani will be able to talk about that. We were It was going to be a perfect time for a Room at the Inn Christmas show, but we'll, we'll make it something maybe more Passover-ish. And or, she's or, a perfect person to talk so about. So we'll, we'll take that up in more yeah. detail. So I, I'll let you put that on hold, but about about what people were saying at the right. front door. So they were worried about, what does this do with those motels? What well, does they this were worried about do? it. And, and what nobody, there's not a lot of noise about it because it didn't require anything to even come close to a vote on this petition, is the replacement of a motel over on Newport Boulevard to a very popular um, uh, swank, hip uh, hotel uh, called The Boulevard that the city council very quietly opened up and extended the, the business uh, inve- uh, the uh, uh, business incentive area to, in fact, 
allow that hotel to be within that business incentive area. So very quietly, they let that one go by because that's a fix of the motels that did not require the things the city uh, council is now trying to tell us is the thing. So this initiative would not have affected that in any way, shape, or form okay. uh, where it does maybe the other one. So the side on the other, the people on the other side are really concerned about the density issues, not about whether it's a good thing for Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa has to be, in fact, making the decision for what goes on in Costa Mesa, not the developers, not outside influences. And this initiative gives them the opportunity to say, look, this is our city. We speak for what we think is right. We don't let somebody else just say, oh, yeah, we know the answer. So when I consider the kinds of initiatives that appear on the ballot, I think sometimes that they have a way of having an impact on other races, other uh, petitions and initiatives on the same ballot. What do you think the impact of Costa Mason's first initiative would have on outcomes, perhaps maybe on your own uh, in the city council race or maybe some other uh, local races? Well, being on the ballot, it's going to open people's eyes into what some of the dynamics are that go on with council races. So I have no doubt in my mind that people that understand and work with and, and are familiar with the initiative will, in fact, make choices on the council that actually have to do with whether or not the council is driven by the response to the needs of the people of Costa Mesa uh -huh. or response to the needs of other people. It'll also possibly have some other effects on other initiatives one of the problems that happens is if you get too many, sometimes people just don't read all of them. And right. so sometimes that'll kind of shift that around. Uh, and we will have probably four initiatives on this ballot coming up, but we'll see how that goes. That can have a slowing of the process, but the or, biggest thing... Right, or alternatively, it might bring people all the way down to the ticket who haven't gone down there before. They said, oh, I, I, I remember that gentleman at my front door, and I, I guess that's what he was talking about, so I'll keep going. I don't usually know what to do with my, but most people in Costa Mesa know what to do with their city council race. But, but the new ones will have heard about that, and so it's, you, you may just get more numbers, not necessarily different sorts of specific impacts. And, and that was the other thing, and I okay. agree with you thoroughly. Absolutely, it's potentially to bring more bodies to the polls that will be a better uh, result for the entire community because they will now have a larger part of it saying what they think is appropriate. All right. Well, I, I've noticed in the press that the Los Angeles constituents are also sort of raising up with the immensity of developments being built in their various neighborhoods. And I, I don't know if Costa Mesa is a template for L.A. Well, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that actually I'm, we have been called by a number of other cities, Escondido uh, as an example, Redondo Beach, which already has one in place. Okay. In the last four years, there's been 41 of these kinds of initiatives that have come to the people of their communities. And they're not adopted? All, oh. Not all have been successful. Uh, okay. Uh, some have been miswritten, uh, like Malibu's has been miswritten, so it actually interfered with its ability to, to survive a court order. This uh, initiative actually has been looked at by attorneys, and it does not change property rights. Um, it actually says that if you change property rights, we talk about it, but it doesn't change them automatically. So there's a lot of reasons why it's very stable, and anybody can sue for any reason they want and to, and I yeah. understand that thoroughly. But uh, I have no real big concerns that this is going to find itself in trouble and 
it has severability in it. So if any part of it is thrown away for some reason, the whole body of the rest of the body of it stands. It stands. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Well, I Jay Humphrey, it's been a real pleasure to bring this really recently developed product here to the airwaves, the radio waves here, so that people can see what citizens' roles, how, how it looks, how it's been working for you, and what Costa Mason's opportunity has with uh, to join some of these other cities and be a, another example, especially since th- there's been a kind of a rolling back of what civic governance looks like in Costa Mesa. You're trying to uh, bring it back up. And I, I salute Eleanor Egan and Tom Egan and many others who are working really hard to to raise the level of consciousness with civic governance there. And they're all working to fix their city. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for being on the show today. Before I close, I would like to just give one announcement. The Orange County chapter of the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence hosts a general chapter meeting this Sunday, March 6th. That's at 2 to 3.30 at St. George's Episcopal Church, Hammond Hall. 23802 Avenida de la Colata in Laguna Hills. I just want to just let me put up there that what you my guest that you just heard from was Jay Humphrey, Costa Mesa civil activist, soon to be a candidate again for the city council, talking about his petition to that will be qualifying shortly on the Costa Mesa general ballot. I want to thank him again for being on the show. So now next week. I'm going to have on the show, I'm going to dispense the myths that keep popping up about breastfeeding. I've got an inside expert, pediatric nurse, and certified lactation consultant, Vivian Earthman. We'll also hear from a different kind of power couple, Bill and Ann Allenbach, two veteran jail literacy tutors from the Orange County Read. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.